We are in our series that we have entitled Wise Up. And if you have not been here, uh, let me just tell you, it is uh, a series about the book of James, which is a small book in your New Testament close to the end, uh, written by a man named James, obviously. And uh, it's a great, powerful book. And uh, we've entitled it Wise Up because the, the term wise up means to start to understand something and to believe what you've heard about it, even if it is difficult or unpleasant. And if you know the book of James, you know that it is there's some difficulty and some unpleasant things in it, and today is no different than that. In fact, this week has been uh, challenging for me because I'm going to be sharing about the tongue and our words and the power of the tongue. So uh, Lord knows I've been under a lot of conviction this week <laughs> preparing this, and, um, but I'm really excited. I mean, James, is, he, he tells it the way it is, but man, it is so, so good what he says, and, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, how he... Uh, uh, encourages us and challenges us in our faith. Uh, we should just be excited about it and, and dive into it. And, and I hope you've been enjoying this, this month and been challenged by this month because this is a, uh, a powerful, powerful book that we're in. Uh, I'm gonna get in the text into, in a moment. Uh, if you wanna turn into your Bibles, if you have one, uh, my text is gonna be obviously out of the book of? No, Matthew. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself. Uh, it is going to be out of Matthew. Uh, we're going to be in James a good bit, but I decided to, I, I want my text out of Matthew because of uh, this is the words of Jesus. And I wanted to start with this. But, uh, but before we get into that, I just wanted to mention that, and I mentioned this the first week we did this too, that James, what, one of the things that's so powerful about the book of James is that he starts by saying in the very first verse that he is a servant of God and of Jesus Christ. And what is so phenomenal about that is that he was actually the brother of Jesus. And so for him to believe that his brother was the Messiah that is an incredible, strong proof that Jesus is who he said he is. I mean, what would it take for you to believe that your brother is the, the Christ, <laughs> the Messiah? It would take a lot. So for James to have believed it, even, and he didn't believe it during Jesus' life, it wasn't until after the resurrection he actually believed it, and it was proven to him. So an incredible testimony of the Messiahship of Jesus. So uh, we are going to be in... in uh, James a good bit today, but we are going to start in the book of Matthew. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you would, please, as we honor God's word together. Matthew 12, 33 to 37. These are the words of Jesus. He is giving the Pharisees a good, stern rebuke. Uh, don't take this as a rebuke to all of you. It's just, uh, this, is, this is the words of Jesus to get us off to a good start this morning, talking about our words. He says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Like I said, a good, strong rebuke from our Lord and Savior to start this off today. Uh, the title of my message is The Power, Problem, and Provision of the Tongue. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we do love you today. Thank you for your presence in this place. God, thank you for your transformational power. And Lord, as I share your word today, God, let it transform us from the inside out. God, for your glory, do what only you can do in these next few moments that we have together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said... Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. 
So I have said many times from here that uh, one of the greatest privileges of being in the position I'm in where I get to share the word and preach consistently is that um, when, I, when I'm studying during the week and getting ready, uh, I get to, I, I literally have, part of my job is to study the Bible. It's an incredible honor that I just cannot get over. I think about it every week how much of a blessing it is. And just to be able to study the word and even outside of my own personal quiet time and, and just have the Lord encouraging me and, and, uh, and lifting me up and, and showing me more of his word. And it's just such a pleasant experience to be able to grow in my relationship with him even as I study the word. Uh, this week was not one of those weeks. <laughs> it, it, I was encouraged, but it wasn't necessarily pleasant. Uh, because I am teaching on the tongue and you know, I was much more uh, cognizant this week of my words because I knew I was preaching on this and I lost count of how many times I had to stop and say, mm, I shouldn't say that. And uh, knowing that if I wasn't preaching on the tongue today, I probably would have just said it. And uh, what I learned this week is that I am absolutely a work in progress just like all of us would probably say we are. And uh, now don't get me wrong, I don't wanna lead you astray and think you know, I would just be cussing like crazy if I wasn't preaching on the tongue. Uh, but you know, we all have sharpness to our tongue, you know, or, or words and things that we say in reaction and response or even in sarcasm that, um, that are not honoring to God. And so I realized this week that, um, that I, I have a lot of room for growth in this, but at the same time, very encouraged as I studied this because man, I was just reminded of some incredible truth and, uh, and even the plan of God for us. As I titled this message, the, the power, the problem, and the provision of the tongue. The tongue has a lot of power. There's a problem with the tongue, but there's also provision for the tongue that God gives us. And, uh, and I hope you will be encouraged by that today. Uh, it's been said that the tongue has no bones, but it's strong enough to break a heart. And that is very, very true. The, the tongue is very powerful, isn't it? Uh, I would even go beyond that to say that it is strong enough to demolish a relationship uh, to destroy a reputation, and even to ruin a life. Many lives have been ruined by words, the words of the tongue. And the tongue is not just a result, or it's not just the words that are coming out of our mouth. The tongue of it, in and of itself isn't really the problem. The words themselves are not really the problem. It's the source of where those words are coming from. The tongue doesn't have, you know, your mouth doesn't have emotions, it doesn't have thoughts. It is just the tool that is being used by something deeper down inside. In fact, Jesus said in that text verse, he said that, that out of the overflow of the heart, it is the mouth that speaks. So the issue with the mouth is not so much the mouth as it is the tongue. In fact, the problem with the tongue is actually our, a heart issue. That's the problem with our mouth, with our lips, with our, the words that we speak, because it's the ones that come from the heart. Those are the ones that have more power in our life. It's not the actual mouth itself. Just like you know, when you cough, the, war, the noise is coming out of your mouth that everybody sees, but it's really not a mouth problem typically. It's usually coming from down deeper. It's coming from the lungs or somewhere inside that's causing the actual cough. The mouth is just where it's projected. Or you know, if you're nauseated and you know, the stuff that happens when you're nauseated out of the mouth sometimes, you know, that's, that's not really a mouth problem, that's a stomach problem that you're having. Um, it's just manifested in the mouth. It's the same way with our words. It's not really about the mouth near as much as it is the heart. Last week I was talking about uh, what you believe determines your actions. You know, that faith without works is dead. Your faith will determine what you do. And it is the exact same thing with the tongue, with the mouth. What you have inside will reveal itself on the outside by what you say. But it starts at the heart. And you know, our approach to dealing with our tongue oftentimes is to deal with the symptoms rather than the root. 
And I hope to encourage you in that today because obviously with anything, if we don't get to the root, we're really not dealing with the real issue in our life. Um, we can try to you know, watch our words, you know, maybe at times just try to keep your mouth shut when you know you shouldn't and don't say what you wanna say or you know, maybe if you, have a, if you struggle with complaining or, or gossip or something like that, you know, people have been known to get a jar, a complaining jar or a swear jar. I know none of us would have that, but uh, people have a, a swear jar or a complaining jar where you put money in every time you do that to try to entice you or to motivate you not to do that anymore. Uh, I saw, so this week I saw somebody had said that, uh, yeah, I thought about getting a complaint jar, but I knew I didn't have near enough money to fund it. <laughs> At least they were honest with themselves. So uh, those are some of the things that we try to do, but we're really just dealing with the symptom and not the root. And James gives us one of those difficult and unpleasant things, commands that he tells us that is out of James 3. I'm gonna be sharing a good bit out of James 3 today. I'm also gonna be in Proverbs. I'm gonna be in Ephesians. I'm gonna be in Isaiah. I got lots of scripture today, but it is so rich um, with truth for us today that I, I think is gonna encourage you. So James 3, verses seven to eight, look what James says here. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. That is a very powerful statement that James is making. He is saying it is absolutely impossible for human beings to tame the tongue. Now to tame, he's talking about, he gives reference here that we can tame animals. And you know, if you tame an animal, what you're really doing is you are subduing that animal. You are uh, making that animal come completely under your control where you've actually broken the will of that animal to where it doesn't even act like itself anymore. It acts in the way you want it to act. I'm sure you've seen that in the circus or at SeaWorld or places like that where they take animals like a lion that would normally destroy anything in its path is sitting there and letting a man put his head in the mouth because this lion has been tamed and he's been completely put under the control. His will has been broken so that he can be controlled by another person. And what James is saying here is that that is absolutely impossible to do with the tongue. You cannot tame your tongue. You cannot break the will of your tongue. It is impossible for man to do. Now, it is possible for God to do it in you. And we're going to get to that in a little while when we talk about the provision of the tongue. But, but we're setting the stage here to let us know that it is impossible to actually tame this tongue on our own. So what do I do? Do I just sit on my hands and buy a big jar and get my paycheck and quarters and do the best I can? What, are we, what is our responsibility in this? If it's impossible to tame the tongue, what do I do? Well, I'm going to show you a good uh, list of scriptures here. I'm going to kind of rapid fire some of these verses because I want to read a bunch of them to you because the Bible has a lot to say about the tongue. Um, if you're taking notes, you're not going to have time to write the reference and the verse down. So I would encourage you just to write the reference and maybe go back and write the verse later. Or you can, you're always welcome to take pictures of the screen with your phone. Uh, anything that would help you to remember and be able to keep this with you. Um, but there's a, there's a lot of verses that talk about the tongue and it talks about guarding your tongue and, and showing restraint in your tongue. Uh, in other words, you can't tame it. You can't completely break the will of your tongue, but you can put a guard around it. You can show restraint in your life. You're not gonna win every single time, but you, can, you can't just let it go wild either just because you can't tame it. It's like, I don't think I could ever tame a dog, you know, like a pit bull. I couldn't tame a pit bull, but I could put a fence around it to make sure it can't do any damage outside of that fence. And God's saying in his word that we can put a guard on our mouth. That's the first step is to put a guard and to show restraint because we love God, because we wanna honor him. So I wanna give you some of these verses that talk about guarding your tongue, 
okay? And like I said, I'm gonna go through them pretty quick. The first one is in Proverbs 21. Proverbs has a lot to say about the tongue. In verse 23, he says, he who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. So it is to your profit that you guard your mouth and your tongue. Proverbs 4, 23 and 24. Above all else, guard your heart. So here it starts with the heart. For it is the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. That keep there is, is about uh, putting a guard against corrupt talk from your lips. So this verse, Solomon is saying what Jesus said, basically that it, the heart and the tongue go hand in hand, that they work together. Okay, Proverbs 10, 19. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds or restrains his tongue is wise. We all wanna be wise, right? Proverbs 17, 28. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. This is the banner verse of my life, I think. Uh, I heard someone say, it's better to keep your mouth shut and let people think that you're probably foolish than to open your mouth and erase all doubt. <laughs> uh, James 1 and 26. You, if you claim to be religious, now that word there for religious really means to serve God. So if you claim to serve God, but you don't control or restrain your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your service to God is worthless. Your religion is worthless. James, you know, he just tells it like it is. Just like last week, we talked about faith without works is dead. He says, serving God without restraining your tongue is also dead. It's worthless. James 1:19, just a few verses earlier, he says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now this is antithetical to our culture today. Our culture, it's be quick to speak and slow to listen. That's what we see everywhere. Social media, you see it all over the place where people are quick to give their input. We strike like snakes, but we're slow to listen in our life. In other words, a wise person actually has long ears and a short tongue, not the other way around. Uh, two more, Ephesians 4.29. I love this verse, growing up in the north where sarcasm is a love language, this is a good one. Uh, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. 99% of sarcasm would go away if we if we honor this passage here in Ephesians. And then finally, Colossians 4 and 6, let your conversation be always full of grace and seasoned with salt. I don't know about you, but I pray that my conversation, that the words coming out of my mouth are seasoned with grace, that they are a pleasure to people that hear them. All right, so I told you I'm gonna give you the power, the problem, and provision of the tongue. So I'm gonna go through all three of these kind of methodically, okay? And I'm gonna start with the power of the tongue. We've talked about it a little bit already. Just kind of wanna elaborate on it a little bit more. Uh, the tongue is obviously very powerful. And when you understand how powerful it is, it's actually scary. When you think about the power that your words have over others and the power that other people's words have had over you, it's actually incredibly, it can be terrifying. It's like, it's like having a car that you don't know the power you have in that car. Like you have a Dodge Charger with a scat pack and everything and you don't know what you have so you're driving around going 20 miles an hour everywhere and then all of a sudden you realize what you got and you step on the gas and that's a scary moment to realize how much power you really have at your, at your fingertips and at your feet. 
It's the same thing with the tongue. We need revelation of how powerful our tongue really is because it will help us to guard it and to restrain, put a restraint around it in our life. Another verse out of Proverbs, out of Proverbs 18, basically Solomon is telling us you cannot overstate the power of the tongue. In verse 21, he says, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. There's nothing more powerful than, than life and death. And he's saying, that's it. The tongue has the power of life and death. There's, there's nothing more powerful in life than the tongue. Which may, basically means we can breathe life into situations or we can breathe death into situations. We can speak life into situations. We can speak death into situations. And I'm not talking about speaking life like name it and claim it, but I'm talking about just speaking truth and speaking life and not tearing things down, but living to build people up, to build things up, to believe truth and stand on truth in our life can change our life. I bet every one of us in here can remember something from maybe this week or 50 years ago that someone said to you that either brought death into your life or brought life into your life. Every one of us. I can remember one, I was just thinking about it this week, and it's, it's somewhat superficial, but the fact that I still remember it tells me that it actually hurt me more than I probably even noticed at the time. But when I was about 10 years old, about 40 years ago, I remember getting up one morning for school and I, I woke up late and I was hustling and I didn't have time to do everything I needed to do, so I just wet my head so I didn't have bed head, you know? Just so my hair would at least be going all the same direction. And I ran out and just made it onto the bus. And I got on the bus and I was still only half awake. So I'm up against the window and I'm leaning my head against the window. And all of a sudden the bus driver sees me and she yells at me and she says, Summers, get your greasy head off my window. And the whole bus laughed, as did the first service when I told them that too, by the way. <laughs> Thank you for not laughing and feeding my pain. Um, and the whole bus laughed and so I did too because I just didn't want to, you know, I wanted to seem like, <laughs> yeah, I meant to do that. You know, but it obviously devastated me because I was made fun of in front of, you know, 50 kids on a bus. And I mean, you know, I didn't, you know, go out and do anything to that lady or anything like that. So that's good. But obviously it had an impact on my life. And many of you have things that were said over you that were much more damaging by a loved one. This woman was somebody I didn't even really know except on the bus. You might have had a parent or, or a sibling or a spouse or a teacher or a pastor, God forbid, say something to you that spoke death into you. It's the power of the tongue. And just as much, it has the power of life too. Because even though I had situations just like you where people spoke death over me, I had people that spoke life too. And I've shared this before, but I, it is so powerful in my life because I know it was the words that that helped direct my life in many ways. I was about 19, I had just really given my life to Jesus. I was excited about living for the Lord and, and I'd had a girlfriend for about a year and a half and, and we had to break it off because I just knew it wasn't of God that we would be together. And so it broke it off, but it, it kind of put me in this place where I didn't feel like I had a lot of purpose. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know where I was going in life. And, and uh, I was at a friend's house one night and they actually called my pastor and had him come over to the house and he was talking to me. I guess they thought I was in pretty bad shape because they had him come out, it was late at night too. And he came over and he sat down with me and he started talking to me about my life and, and I was just lamenting about everything and, and he finally just stops me and he says, hey, what are you gonna do with your life, Reagan? And I said, I don't know. I just, I have no idea. I'm probably just gonna, you know, work and try to make a good living and, you know, eventually have a family and just do whatever, you know? And, and uh, 
he, he stopped everything and he looked at me and he put his finger in my face. The gentlest old, older, I mean, he was probably in his, I don't know, late 60s then. He was an older man. I was only 19, so it was a big age gap there, you know? But he was so gentle, but so much love. And he put his finger right in my face. And he said, don't you ever settle for anything less than what God has for you. He said, God has a plan for your life. He's given you a pastor's heart and you're gonna serve him. And it was unbelievable, unbelievable. And he spoke life into me. And I didn't make decisions based on that. I didn't all of a sudden say, okay, well, I guess I have to be a pastor and pursue it. I actually ran from that for a while. But I look back and I see how his word spoke life into this dead, dry soul that I had at that time. And it was so powerful because words have power because of where they come from. It came from his heart and he spoke it into my life because he knew me and he saw me and he believed in me. And that's the power of the words that we experience in our life. James 3.2 tells us about the power of words too. He says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. That tells you how powerful the tongue is. He's not saying you're literally perfect if you do this. He's saying that you, you're mature and complete. That's what that word means. And he's saying you're able to keep your whole body in check. That tells you how powerful our words are. But again, the power isn't actually from the words themselves, the mouth. They come from a deeper place. The mouth is just the source or just the, the, the tool that is used by the heart to express these words. Just like a policeman's badge in and of itself has no power. If you see a policeman holding a badge, that badge doesn't do anything. It's just a piece of, little piece of metal. But what that badge represents is the backing of the sheriff's department, which is also supported by the government, which is, which is um, empowered to enforce the laws of the land. So that badge has a lot of power. Just like your mouth has a lot of power, even though in and of itself, it doesn't have feelings or thoughts or anything. It comes from the heart. So James talks about this too when he, in, in, in the next couple of verses in James 3. Let's look at James 3, verses 3 to 5. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. In other words, it's very, very powerful. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Now, obviously he says a lot in this, but just look at the, the fact that it says it makes great boasts. He's talking about the power of the tongue and how powerful it is. But it's interesting here because it's not really just the tongue, it's the source. The tongue is just the product of that, because he's even talking about a boat and he's saying how a boat is controlled by a little rudder, right? But you know, what, what, what good does a rudder do on a boat if the boat is sitting stationary docked up against a dock? It does nothing. You could turn the wheel all you want and move the rudder all you want, it's not doing anything. But when that boat is under power, that rudder does everything. So the power that is driving this life, it's our heart. And the rudder, the mouth, is what reveals the heart and directs our life. That's how powerful this little thing in our mouth is when it is used for evil. So we, we've seen the power of the tongue, okay? I think it's pretty evident how strong it is. Now let's look at uh, the problem with the tongue. Because power is not a bad thing, 
But that much power in the hands of any human is going to be a bad thing. We're not designed to have that much power in any way because we are not pure enough or good enough to really use that power for God's glory on our own. So there's a problem with the tongue. In fact, we already established that it says it can't be tamed, that it is a restless evil, that it is full of deadly poison. <laughs> That's a pretty, those are some strong statements coming from James. The tongue is a problem. In fact, he goes on in, in James 3, verse 6, the very next verse. And he says, the tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. <laughs> it corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. It sounds hopeless, doesn't it? That it is a world of evil among the parts of the body. So like a, of all the body, the tongue is a whole world in and of itself of evil. Some powerful words. The tongue is a problem. He's talking about the power it has here and the fact that it is a problem for us. The power tells us that it can affect our whole life. It says it corrupts the whole person and sets the whole course of his life on fire. That's a problem. Because when he's talking about fire here, he's not talking about good fire. It can set the whole course of our life. It can change the course of our life. It can turn the direction of our life. That's the power of the tongue. And we know that to be true. I'm sure you've seen it in the lives of people around you. You may have even experienced it yourself where you know something that someone said to you made you say, you know what? Maybe it was hurtful and you said, I'm gonna prove that person wrong. So you redirected your life and to live in such a way just to make what that person said be not true in your life. And it's redirected you. Or maybe your own words have caused your life to be redirected. Your own attitude, your own heart, really. I think about the children of Israel. When you talk about the tongue, you can't help but talk about the nation of Israel when they were a young nation and they were just getting going and they were in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years and, and God's gonna deliver them out. He raises Moses up and he says, Moses, I want you to take these children out of Egypt and they're gonna take, go into this promised land, this land I promised to your ancestors. And I'm gonna give them this land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It was an incredible promise from God to this whole nation of people. And if you know the story, you know that 99% of those people never made it into that promised land. Did God fail? No. The reason they didn't make it into that land, if you read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way to Joshua, what you will see is constant, never stopped complaining. Complaining, constantly. Even at some point begging Moses to take them back to Egypt, to slavery complaining and the judgment of God was on them because of their complaining and the majority of them, almost all of them never got to see the land that God promised them. Their whole path of their life was detoured because of their tongue. Really what was coming out of their heart, out of their tongue, out of their mouth. It can completely change the course of our life. Let's continue reading in James three and verses nine through 12. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce 
fresh water. He's saying here that we praise God and we curse people with the same tongue. We're guilty of that, aren't we? And he's saying it should not be this way. No other place in the world will you see something that can do opposites. Like he said, you can't get fresh water out of a salt spring. You can't do it. Yet we, even though we are fresh water springs because we're followers of Jesus, we will bring the fresh water and we'll praise our God one minute and we'll curse people with that exact same tongue. And he says this, is, this should not be. In fact, I think sometimes we'll even do it almost simultaneously. Anybody ever been in the car driving down the road and you got your favorite worship song on and you are all up in your feels and you are worshiping, you are feeling it, you are so thankful to Jesus for who he is and how he has saved you and redeemed you and all of a sudden somebody cuts you off and you take a short break from this worship to call this person a name and then go back to that worship as if nothing ever happened. We are blessing and cursing sometimes in the same moment, simultaneously. And James says, gives us a good rebuke and says, this should not be. This should not be. This is the problem of the tongue. Okay, we're, we're still establishing the problem with our tongue. We laugh when we, when we talk about stuff like this because we've all been there. We've all been like, literally, I've been praying and thanking Jesus for his goodness and, and praising him and somebody pulls out in front of me and mm, you know, you just, you know, you know how it goes. Because the tongue is a problem. It is a problem. Uh, there are so many ways that our tongues can be cursing people. So many ways they can curse ourselves. So many ways they can be salt water out of a fresh water spring. There's so many sins of the tongue that it's, it'd be hard to name them all. I just started listing some just off the top of my head. And I, was, I was saddened by how many I could say so quickly. <laughs> there's gossip. There's slander. Murmur. Flattery. Lies. Exaggeration. Boasting. Foul language. Manipulation. Shaming. Harshness. Defensiveness. Complaining. Sarcasm. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. All these sins of the tongue that are very, very clearly written out for us and laid out for us in Scripture. The tongue is a problem. But there is provision. Praise God for his provision. Let me give you the provision for the tongue. We've already established that no one can tame it. It's humanly untamable. We can guard, we can restrain, but we cannot break its will and tame it like we would a tiger or another animal or a killer whale or whatever animals they're taming now. So what do I do? Because this is not new information for most of us. But the only way we can actually have our tongue tamed and have victory over our tongue is to understand that this is a spiritual battle. I'll say it again. This is a spiritual battle that we are dealing with in our life. Now, this is, this is easy to forget sometimes because the tongue is such a practical thing. It's something we can see the... Uh, we can see the ramifications of it immediately. I mean, words come out of my mouth, I hear them, it's instantaneous. 
And when words are spoken to me, I hear them and I feel whatever I feel because of them, it's instant. So it seems very practical. And it seems like we could just, you know, do our best to restrain and do the things we can do to be better about our tongue and just grit our teeth and say, I'm not gonna gossip this week. I'm not gonna complain this week. I'm gonna do, my, I'm gonna do better. It's easy to think that way because it is so practical in so many ways. But church, the reality is because it is not really starting here, it's starting here, it's starting in the inner man, it is a spiritual battle. We have to understand that. And you cannot win a spiritual battle as a human being. There's no spiritual battles a human has ever won in the history of the world, okay? Salvation is a spiritual battle. It is a battle for souls. Right? If you have received salvation, that is a spiritual battle that you won, not because of you, but because of the Spirit of God drew you to it, revealed the truth to you through the Holy Spirit that yes, you actually are a sinner, you actually do need forgiveness for your sins, there actually is life after this life, and what you do now is gonna determine if you're gonna go be with Jesus or you're gonna be separated from him for eternity. That had to be revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. A human being cannot get saved by saying, I'm just gonna get saved. I'm gonna be good, I'm gonna just be holy, I'm gonna be perfect, I'm not gonna make any more mistakes, I'm not gonna do it. You can't win that battle, right? This tongue's no different. You can't win the battle of the tongue unless you understand that it is a spiritual battle in your life. The Bible talks very clearly about being filled with the Spirit, okay? It, there, there's, there's a there's a, 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 an occupying that the Spirit does inside of us, the moment of salvation. The Bible's clear about that. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit, because that's the only way you can get saved, is that the Holy Spirit is drawing you and reveals the truth of who Jesus is to you. So you get the Spirit of God when you get saved. But then the Bible's also very clear that there is a filling of the Spirit that we live out in our life, that we are to be continually filled with the Spirit of God, empowered to live out this life for him that goes beyond just salvation, but living a spirit-filled life in such a way that we are honoring God with our body, including our heart, including our lips, including every part of our body. And the only way that we can do that is by being filled with the Spirit. In fact, the, the Bible tells us to be continually filled with the Spirit. It's not a one-time event. It's not something that happens, and now I'm full of the Spirit, so now I'm good to go. It's something that we have to continually be filled in our life. In fact, Paul talks about being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5, in verse 18. He says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the, the, the translation of that, it could very easily have also said, be continually filled with the Spirit, okay? This is about being filled with the Spirit. Now, now Paul is using uh, he's mentioning a sin here. He's like, don't live in sin. Don't be living in drunkenness. Be filled with the Spirit. Why did he choose drunkenness? There are a lot worse sins out there by man's standard than drunkenness. Why didn't he say, hey, don't murder an innocent person. Be filled with the Spirit. Why did he say, don't get drunk with wine because that ruins your life. Be filled with the Spirit. Well, to be drunk on, with wine or any kind of alcohol Obviously that happens by consuming alcohol, it gets in your bloodstream. And what happens to us, or to, to anyone who, who uh, is intoxicated, it changes their behavior. I'm sure a lot of you have been around people that are, that are drunk, or maybe you've even had that experience in your own life in the past, and you realize you're different. Some people are angry, some people are chill, some people are really emotional. So there's all kinds of different responses, but the reality is, is you're acting differently than you would if you were sober. 
And there's even signs. You know, you could have slurred speech. You, you can't walk in a straight line. You have all kinds of things that can happen to you that are evidence of the fact that you are intoxicated. Well, it's the exact same thing with the Spirit of God. That when we are filled with the Spirit, we are acting differently than we would if we were not filled with the Spirit. We are acting in such a way our behavior even changes because we're not living just according to our flesh now, we're living according to the Spirit of God. We're following the Spirit of God's promptings in our life. So it changes how you act, it changes how you live, it changes their signs that people should actually even be able to see it if you're full of the Spirit, that there's something different about you, that there's something that, isn't, that normal people don't really get to experience in their life. So Paul says, don't be drunk on wine because that changes how you act too, but be, be full of the Spirit because that changes how you act, but it's in a good way because you're actually living for him and not living for yourself and you're getting to experience the power of God in your life. And being filled with the Spirit, it's like, it's, it's about being devoted to him. It's about emptying ourselves because God can't fill something that's already full. Let that sink in, church. God cannot fill something that is already full of itself. To really be filled with the Spirit, we have to be surrendering ourselves constantly. We have to be laying down our own desires. We have to be laying down those rights that we think we have. We lay down what we think we, get, we should be allowed to say or what we should be allowed to feel because of what happened to us or what we should be allowed to do because of what culture dictates. But we're constantly coming to God and saying, God, I'm emptying myself of myself and I want you to fill me with your spirit. I want you to have your way in my life where we devote ourselves to his word, we devote ourselves to prayer, we devote ourselves to fasting, we devote ourselves to be given to discipleship, to be part of a body of believers, to be encouraged, where we're actually filling our life up with the things of God rather than the things that we would want for ourselves. To make it a high priority in life, to continually empty ourselves and make it a habit of asking God to fill us. I don't know about you guys, but I ask God all the time to fill me with his spirit. Fill me, Lord. And show me what I have in me that's, that's getting in the way. Reveal it to me. That's why John the Baptist said, I have to decrease and he must increase. He can't increase unless we decrease. It's just the way it works in life. I wanna, I wanna finish with this passage out of Isaiah. Uh, it's in Isaiah 6, and many of you know this, this, this passage. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, verse about showing where Isaiah saw the throne room. He was ushered into the throne room of God. I don't know if he was actually a physically an out-of-body thing or if he had a vision or what, but he saw the Lord. And um, what happens in the wake of this is really incredible. I'm, in fact, I'm going to read it to you. It's out of Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 5. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Mighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, 
For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Amazing verse. We see an incredible vision of the throne room and the majesty of God and his holiness. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I, when I read that, I can actually get a bit of a visual, and I know it probably does no justice to what it was actually like, but it's just awe-inspiring. And Isaiah was actually there and saw it. And you notice when he sees what he sees, his immediate response is, woe is me, I am undone. He says, basically, I'm ruined. I've seen God, I am ruined. Why is he ruined? Is it because he, all of a sudden he notices how prideful he is? Or how selfish he is? Or how much lust he has in his life? No. He says, I'm ruined because I am a man of unclean lips. He immediately goes to his mouth and the words. It was the first thing that Isaiah mentions when he sees God high and lifted up on his throne. He says, woe is me. He says, man, my mouth is no good. And I come from a people whose mouths are no good. This was a man that loved God, was a prophet of God. And he says, I'm ruined. I think it's really incredible that that's what he thought when he saw God lifted up. And if you know the rest of the story, this is the provision. Because if you know the rest of the story, it says one of the seraphs flew down, took a coal from the fire and touched Isaiah's lips with it. And he says, hey, your guilt is gone. Your sins are atoned for. So this is an example of the forgiveness, of the mercy and grace of God affecting Isaiah. And then God says, hey, who's gonna go for us? And Isaiah stands up immediately and says, here am I, send me. His whole demeanor has changed because he's been forgiven. His mouth has been cleansed because of what God did for him. But he didn't stop there because if you know the story of Isaiah, he was the mouthpiece for God. He was the prophet for God in his lifetime. And in Isaiah 61 is another very famous verse where he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news. This is so significant. So Isaiah wasn't just forgiven because of the coal that touched him, he also got the spirit of God in that moment. God put his spirit in him. You see, in the Old Testament, this people being filled with the spirit was a very rare occurrence. There wasn't that many people. It had to be a special case where God would fill people with his spirit because the spirit wasn't on the earth like he is now. But you see in the new covenant, in Acts chapter two, the spirit came to the earth on the day of Pentecost. And now he is available for all of us. So we can all have the same spirit that Isaiah had, living in us and filling us and helping us to live for him. So God says to Isaiah, I'm gonna forgive you for what you've done, because Isaiah repented, because he said, woe is me, that's him repenting for his mouth and his, his whole life, basically. So he forgives him and then he fills him. And he filled him because he needed his mouth, because he was gonna be the prophet of God for his people. But you know what? God doesn't really make that, that distinction for us anymore in that kind of a way, not nearly like it was then where it's like only certain people, God only needs certain people's mouths to speak truth to people for, God, for the sake of God's glory. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, he wants your mouth. He wants to be able to have your mouth because he wants to be able to use your words, your, your tongue, your heart for his glory. So God forgives us and he fills us because he wants our mouth. And church, today he wants your mouth mouth. He wants your words, but it's not just your words. He wants your heart because when our heart is where it should be, when our heart is, is, is 
the dwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of us, it changes our words. It doesn't mean we'll never mess up. It doesn't mean we'll always say the right thing all the time or we'll always have the right thoughts and the right feelings, but we'll be convicted. We'll, we'll have a short leash where we'll know when we mess up and allow God to convict our heart. We repent. He touches our lips with the coal and he fills us with his spirit. Praise God. You know, early this week on Monday, actually, uh, it's, it's mine and Joy's day off. So we usually spend the day together and we were out driving and we were at a red light and there was a billboard and she looked up and saw this billboard and it was one of a, it was a marketing campaign and there was a guy on it and um, uh, she made a, um, a disparaging comment about the guy in the billboard. Not anything about how he looked or anything like that. Just um, it was one of those campaigns where normal average US, uh, citizens are annoyed by it. So I'm not going to say what it was, but it wasn't a bad comment. It was just a small comment. And, and of course she said something. So I pig piled on with her. I was like, yeah, and we both made a comment about it. And uh, she immediately, like five seconds later, she just goes, Lord, I'm so sorry. I had no business saying that. That was very judgmental or whatever. And of course I was like, oh man, all right. I'm sorry too, Lord. <laughs> Can't let you one up me. Um, and you know, I knew I was teaching on the tongue this week and she didn't know. So she's obviously much further along than I am. Thank God for a good wife. Uh, but that's, but that's it right there in a nutshell, in a very small microcosm of what I'm talking about. Like, it doesn't mean we won't mess up, but man, a short leash, like, God, please forgive me. I'm sorry. And I mean, she did it. She's made the comment out loud. So she said to God, forgive me out loud. And it encouraged me. It challenged me. It really did. And that's what it is. That's what it is when we're talking about, like, letting God show us his mercy and forgiveness and making sure that we're putting ourselves in a place where he can fill us with his spirit, where he can keep that leash short, where, where our heart is always being tweaked and transformed more and more to be like him, that we would have the mind of Christ, that we would have his heart. The Bible tells us when we get saved, we get a new heart, that we go from death to life, that we are new creatures, and that we don't have to succumb to the old man, but that we can actually live according to the spirit of God. That is the provision God gives us for our tongues. So I want you to stand with me, please, because I want to pray for us. And listen, I want you to come to the altar today. If you want to, I want to I'd like to pray for you. If you need to repent for your tongue, and you want God to forgive you, and you want God to fill you, okay? Just come on up, let's just pray. We're not gonna make a big deal out of this. I just, I think it's good for us to respond, to step out, to declare and take a stand, to ask God to forgive us and to fill us. The tongue is a restless evil. My tongue has failed me, because I knew I was teaching on this this week, my tongue has failed me 20 times this week. That's in a week that I know I'm gonna be standing on a stage teaching people about the tongue, church. So the tongue is so sharp and it has the power of life and death. But praise God, we are not victims of our tongue. With the spirit of God in us, we are overcomers. No matter what's been spoken over you, that can be, that can be a place of freedom in your life. You may need to forgive somebody that's spoken death over you and it may be real fresh and raw in your, in your heart. It could have happened this week. Do not hang on to it. It just brings death in our life. Release that person, set them free, forgive them, and ask God to forgive you for harboring it. That's what the Bible tells us to do, as hard as it is. You're not forgiving them because they deserve it. You're forgiving them because of what Jesus forgave you for. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for your word. 
Thank you for the transformational truth of your word, God. Lord, we know that the tongue is very powerful and that in our flesh it is a problem. But Lord, you have made provision by your spirit that we are not victims of our tongue. We're not victims of our hearts, but Lord, you give us new hearts. God, where we have given in to allow ourselves to be hardened and that our words have expressed that, Lord, would you forgive us? Lord, where we are on our own, we are ruined. We are people of unclean lips. But God, we thank you for the coal that touches our lips, that forgives us. Thank you for your incredible offering that you poured out to forgive us each of our sins. We thank you for that today, God. We repent of all the idle words that we've spoken, of the the words of death where we've allowed our mouths to be places, a a world of poison. God, we, we, we step away from that, God. We leave that behind, we repent, we turn from it, Lord. And we ask you to fill us with your spirit. God, that we would be completely filled up to overflowing with your spirit. Lord, that's not something we can do on our own. We can only ask you to do it. And Lord, if we are full of ourselves, would you reveal it to us so we can, we can empty ourselves of ourselves. Lord, the things that we hold on to that we are not willing to lay down that keep from you being able to fill us with your spirit. God, would you reveal that to us today? Lord, we lay those things down. We lay them down before you, Jesus. It's yours. Whatever it is, church, let him have it. Surrender those things to him. Whether it's a thought, whether it's a hurt, whether it's something tangible, lay it down. Fill us with your spirit today, Lord. Fill us to overflowing. Thank you, God. Lord, it is a spiritual battle that we know we cannot win on our own. There is no spiritual battle that we'll win without your spirit. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your freedom, God, that you're bringing into this place today, into the hearts of everyone at this altar today, Lord. Thank you for the freedom that you are bringing. Thank you for new life. Thank you, God, for our hope in you. It is not in anything else. It's only in you, Jesus. And we want you to get all the glory for it. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives today, God. Let the seed that is planted today produce fruit. Let it not be snatched up by the enemy. We seal this work today by your spirit, God. Let your Holy Spirit seal what you're doing in our hearts, that it cannot be taken, that it cannot be brushed aside, but it will produce fruit in our lives. We thank you for it today, Lord. And it's in your precious name we pray, Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen. Praise God.